Yeah, Jesus, you were the one we sing to, the one we direct our, our, our affection towards, the one we want to be the sole empowering force in our lives. And we just join with the song of heaven that in real time right now, outside of us, there are thousands of angels and saints singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so somehow, God, we draw strength from knowing that that's happening. And we just say, holy, holy, holy are you. In your name, Jesus, amen. Hey, you can have a seat if you're here on site, if you're at home as well. Holy is just this word that means set apart, different. And so when we say that word, it's just this, God, you are different than us. You are set apart from any human endeavor or effort. And so it's just a really beautiful and important way to center ourselves this morning and to say, holy, holy, holy <laughs> is he, God. Well, thanks for being here today, Heartland, whether you're on site or online. My name is Shibu Matthew. I'm the pastor of Family Movements here at the church, and really excited to be together today. We're in this series called The Last Words of Jesus, and, uh, um, and just looking at these seven things that Jesus said that might speak hope and truth and strength to our lives. Uh, you may have noticed I'm wearing an apparatus today. <laughs> I was having fun playing uh, disc golf, and then very quickly I was not having fun. <laughs> Uh, and so it's on the mend. But, uh, but uh, it made me think of the last time I sprained my ankle uh, was when I was playing basketball with our guest speaker today. <laughs> Corey Osborne is a, a friend who's joining us today. Yeah, Corey's got some fans here. I met Corey 12 years ago, maybe, uh, doing student ministry in the city. And, uh, and Corey was, uh, was just a, a really intense dude on the court. And so I hope you get to hear the intense passion he has for Jesus today. Uh, and you will. He is. He's a, he's a leader in the church of Kansas City. He is uh, discipling people. He is after it. And so we're so excited to hear from Corey Osborne today uh, in just a moment. But uh, Corey's connected to some of our prison ministries, Gracious Promise being one of those. And one week from today is when you can drop off the items that we referred to last week, gently used clothing, uh, new undergarments, uh, and then just uh, at this morning, paper books. Someone, uh, Mike Farmer, who leads our ministry, just said, hey, that's a, a new need that we have. So any of those things you could bring next week, there will be bins outside the side of the building, uh, and you can just drop those off uh, at, that, at that spot, uh, and they will go directly and immediately to, to help those who are transitioning from uh, prison uh, situations to transitional housing and, and different kinds of things. So thank you for that, Heartland. You're generous, and we, we really appreciate your partnering with the least of these in the greatest of their need in the season. Um, yeah, uh, and so uh, the, the only final announcement for you is Easter happenings are coming. We are in this journey towards Easter, uh, and we have three service offerings. You can check them out all at heartlandchurch.org uh, and look for the Easter tab. Uh, but there's going to be an outdoor service in the backyard at 10 a.m. and then also 9 and 11 a.m. like normal in here. Uh, really excited for that. Well, thanks for being here. I hope you're going to be encouraged. and Our hearts have been opened to what God has to say to us through the worship from this morning uh, and now through, through God's word. So would you give Corey a hand after this short series video uh, and welcome him to Heartland. Thanks for being here.
Good morning, everyone. Hey, thanks. Thanks for letting me be here. This is exciting. And um, yeah, if you guys ever are playing Shaboom basketball, um, one, spraining his ankle helps. Uh, but also, he, he likes to throw his hands up and draw fouls. So it's just a quick scouting report in case you guys are in that situation. Um, I really appreciate you guys uh, letting me be here. Again, my name is Corey, and um, I'm part of the leadership crew of a group called KC Underground here in Kansas City. I was a pastor at Colonial for a long time. I did youth. I was, I was always the weird guy doing weird mission stuff, and so they never quite knew what to do with me, and I think I'm still kind of in that boat. In a handful of years, I started hanging out with a bunch of guys uh, in Gracious Promise, seeing the gospel unleashed in some of our county jails, and I'm telling you, uh, I don't know if this is encouragement. Don't take this as encouragement, but if you want to hear the goodness of Jesus, you could always get arrested and go to jail, because I'm telling you, God is doing some pretty amazing stuff uh, in, in some of the places of incarceration in our city. Hey, there's a, real quick, I want to show a picture of my family for no other reason except that they make me look better. So uh, this, is my, this is my family, uh, my wife and my three kids. We have been in Kansas City for a long time. Now, I went to K-State, if there's any other Wildcats in the house. Thank you, seven of you. That's awesome. Good stuff. Um, came back here, started doing ministry. My, my heart's desire is to see disciples making disciples in the city. My heart's desire is to see the gospel planted and new disciples and new networks making new disciples and new networks until we see movements take over our city. So that is like our life. That is what we're running hard after. Uh, and then just through some fun circumstances... And some fun friends, I had an opportunity to come here this morning. So I think I'm jumping into week three of the series that you guys have been in, looking at the last words of Jesus, specifically zooming in on those last words that he said while he was on the cross, which carry such significance when it comes to not only the character of Jesus, but what it looks like for us as followers of him. So this week, we're honing in on Matthew 27, 46. Where Jesus, with minutes left to live, cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And uh, the topic I was originally given was titled, A Word for the Lonely. And so uh, as we focus on these words, uttered probably like in the loneliest moment in the history of mankind, I really believe that we can learn from Jesus what it looks like to be faithful and steadfast in our own loneliness. And obviously, this is timely, right? Like if depression and like anxiety, loneliness, if that wasn't on your radar before COVID, I, I mean, I know it is now, right? It seems like every day we're stumbling upon like new studies that are highlighting just the psychological state that our culture is in. I actually stumbled upon one the other day from Medical News Today, it was a survey, found that 80% of 18 to 35-year-olds reported, quote, significant depressive symptoms during the pandemic. It's 80%. So here's the reality. People, particularly young people in our culture, are, are struggling psychologically at like a historic level. Like people are desperately crying out for hope. 
right? So on one hand, that's like, that's hard to hear, right? A lot of us have probably been there. We feel that. That's, it's discouraging. There's also, though, a flip side to that. And this is where um, some of what we're doing in the city has, has come to mind, right? So we started KC Underground, which is essentially a local missions organization that's helping everyday people plant the gospel, see new forms of church emerge. And uh, we started seeing a lot of new forms of church in neighborhoods and networks coming out of new disciple making in the midst of loneliness and despair and depression and anxiety, right? And so where a lot of people, a lot of like even followers of Jesus have been really discouraged in this season, like I've been so encouraged because there is something about, there's something about hardship and suffering that makes people ask different questions, amen? Right, there's something about it that draws our hearts and, and God sometimes uses, sometimes we turn our face and we go the opposite direction, but other time God uses it to draw us towards himself in a new way. And we started seeing that. During COVID, we had like, before that, I think we had 12 micro churches in the city and now we have well over 30. And that happened during the pandemic because people are crying out for hope right? That's like this culture and the answers that this culture brings is not satisfying the desires of their heart. And so really before we get into really what Jesus said and why he said it, that's just my like encouragement to y'all that God is actually doing something pretty rad right now. He's doing something in the, in the midst of people's hearts. I just said rad on stage. I don't know where that came from. Sorry about that. But um, he's doing something pretty amazing in the hearts of people who are crying out to God in a new way. So be encouraged and be looking for that. Like, people are ready for hope in a new way. Um, but also, and really for the rest of this time, I want to talk to all of you who potentially have been following Jesus, but can hear the words of Jesus where he says, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that hits home. Right? You've been there before. You know that feeling of perceived forsakenness. And this is kind of a tricky subject, right? Because we are a bunch of people coming from a, a, a bunch of different places in life with a lot of different wounds and a lot of different history, right? So it's tricky to talk about this perceived forsakenness. So really what I want to do is look at the words of Jesus, say, okay, why did you say that, Jesus? And what are you trying to teach us about the kingdom of God and about hope in the midst of feeling forsaken? Cool? Let me just pray to open us up. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this, uh, this incredible family that is here. Thank you for Heartland and just the, the years of, of faithfulness and ministry in this city. Thank you for opportunities to partner. And thank you for your words, God. Jesus, when you were on the cross and you, and you cried out these words, God, would you teach us right now what that, what that offers us even in our life today? So we invite your spirit here this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, hey, so let's, let's jump into that. Let's look at Matthew 27, 45 through 46 here on the slide. Um, and I'm just going to read, just kind of get, get us going here. It says, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you nod along if this, this statement trips you up a little bit theologically? It's cool. It's cool. Like, we don't fully know what to do with this statement, right? Did, like, did God the Father really forsake Jesus? Like, 
I thought he's not supposed to do that. Can the Trinity be forsaken? Like all these question marks that come when you read this verse. And I'm not really going to go into all of it because, you know, I don't have that much time and I don't know all the answers. But I do have a couple observations when we, when we look at this statement. One is on a surface level and one is more of like a deeper kind of prophetic level. And so number one, on the surface level, why did Jesus say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, I think it means what it says. I think, that, I think the text means what it says. In this moment, Jesus felt the, the desolation of being unconscious of his father's presence. Jesus felt the desolation of being unconscious of his father's presence. So why do we know that? 2 Corinthians 5.22 or 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So in this moment, Jesus began to feel the weight and the judgment of generations of sin. In this moment, as, as Jesus took on the curse of the separation that inevitably comes with sin, right? Sin brings separation. In this moment, he felt real separation. He felt real wrath, right? And instead of pouring it out on those of us who deserved it, God the Father poured it out on his blameless son. So in that sense, on the surface level, Jesus was forsaken, but I love this. He was forsaken so that we wouldn't have to be forsaken. Right? On the cross, when Jesus cried that out, he was forsaken so that we would never have to be forsaken. So that's my first observation. Second one is kind of, it's kind of like diving deeper into like, why, do you, why did Jesus actually say that specific phrase? And uh, Really, I think what Jesus is doing is he's redirecting our eyes to something else. He's actually quoting Psalm 22, verse 1, right? So let's read that right here. This is Psalm 22, verse 1, which, by the way, Psalm 22 is full of prophecies that Jesus is, like, actively fulfilling in the moment, which is just awesome to see, right? So Psalm 22, 1, my God, this is written by David, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night. I find no rest. Not along if you've been there, right? So Jesus is, is clearly quoting um, Psalm 22, verse 1 here. And I don't think that he's quoting it like just some obscure psalm just for the sake of quoting a psalm. Like I think he's actually redirecting us for a very like deliberate purpose. So in his anguish, he's directing us to Psalm 22 to show us something that, that takes us even deeper into the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Isn't that so cool that he's like actively teaching us in that moment where he's suffering and crying out? So I think first and foremost, he's pointing us to Psalm 22 to show us that this is all part of the redemption plan, right? Like if you actually dive deep into Psalm 22, which we'll do a little bit more here in a second, it's essentially the Good Friday script. Like sprinkled throughout it is like all these prophecies that are hidden within Psalm 22 that's actively being played out. I mean, check it out. Psalm 22, verse 7. 
All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. Matthew 27, 39. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. Right, it's actually the exact same phrase. Jesus is living into this. Psalm twenty-two, sixteen. They have pierced my hands and feet. Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. David saying they they divide my clothes among them, and cast lots for my garment. Isn't that cool? Like this is this is a script for the Good Friday story, written like in nine hundred BC, played out in real time at the exact moment that Jesus is uttering these words. So first and foremost, this is worshipful, right? We look at Psalm 22, it's happening. It's all part of the redemption plan. I think Jesus is actually directing us there just to know that. It's more than what we see in front of our eyes. But I think it also goes deeper to that. Like as we dive deeper into Psalm 22, what it's actually talking about is, I mean, really, it's a psalm that's expressing pain and loneliness, right? It's the personal words of a very godly man, David, who feels abandoned by God. In his pain, all he can do is cry out, like, God, where are you? Do you even, like, do you even care what I'm going through? Right, this is David crying out these words. And I think this is where it hits home for many of us who have ever felt that same way. Like, I love that. We can read the book of Psalms and we can actually see the raw emotion Right, and I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about, where it's like this is real stuff. So Jesus is pointing us straight to this psalm for those of us who have ever felt forsaken. And I wish, guys, I wish that I had not felt that before. But I'm telling you, five years ago, I could have written that psalm. And uh, it was it was 2015. My wife and I were pregnant with our second kid. Uh, we were at our 20-week appointment. So excited. We found out that it's a girl, right? So I'm sitting there at the sonogram. It's just like awesome. Um, but at the same time, you could tell that something, something wasn't right. And uh, long story short, because I don't want to be that guest speaker up here who's just, you know, ugly crying in front of you guys as we talk about this, um, but we found out, like, basically at that appointment, that our daughter uh, had a chromosomal condition called trisomy 13, which uh, we were informed was incompatible with life for her. Her brain wasn't developing. She had a bunch of other issues. And we were told, unless uh, God did a, just a mighty miracle, that she was going to die either in the womb or uh, seconds, minutes, days after she was born. And I'm telling you, man, uh, for the next 14 weeks, it was the most agonizing, forsaken feeling I've ever had. Right? It was like 14 weeks, we were just like, through the pain, you know, the loneliness, crying out to God, really not hearing anything back from him. Like, the, the, just to be totally honest, the, the depth of, of forsaken, like feeling forsaken was was more than I could, like, could have ever wrapped my mind around, right? There was just this brutal, brutal season in our life. And at, at 34 weeks, our, uh, our daughter, Elizabeth Joy, uh, passed away in the womb and uh, was delivered actually Christmas Eve 2015. <clears throat> and in those weeks, guys, we were like, we were fighting to believe for a miracle, but like hearing nothing. 
right? And I'm telling you, the tone of my prayers <laughs> during that season were not like lighthearted, jovial prayers of hope, right? I mean, they sounded, they sounded like Psalm 22, like crying out to God, like asking, like, have you forgotten about me? Like, where are you? Why aren't you talking, right? I'm just like crying out to God over and over again. And I, and I had gone through some trials before that in life. Like, this wasn't new, but in those other trials, there was like, there was like this nearness, like circumstances were brutal, but there was this nearness of God. Like, this was different. Like, circumstances were brutal, but it just felt like we were alone, right? And it was brutal. It was hard. And so I spent some time, knowing that we were going to speak on this subject this past week, I spent some time just kind of sitting in it and uh, reflecting on how, I don't know, to put it bluntly, how I'm still here. Does that make sense? You know, just like, what happened? What was going on in that, that season of feeling forsaken? And, and how am I still standing here saying God is good? And I'm telling you, it's not because I'm super holy. A lot of my, yeah. Mark's like, amen to that, right? It's like, it's not, that's not why, right? There was something deeper. And so as we were reflecting on that, I'm reflecting on Psalm 22. I'm ref reflecting on Jesus on the cross, crying this out and redirecting us to Psalm 22. I fall, uh, I really fell on uh, three things. So essentially three takeaways that are a combination of my story and, and takeaways from the text that we looked at today. And I also want it to be kind of, kind of like an exhortation to you all. Three things that we can learn about when we feel forsaken that might be an encouragement to us who have walked through things, all right? So, so number one, Jesus gets us. Jesus gets us. He is able to offer a level of empathy to those of us who are feeling forsaken honestly like no one else can. I think he actually quotes Psalm 22 to help us see that, right? Jesus, he gets the pain. Like he understands forsakenness. He experienced it in a level that we have never experienced it. Like we know that any suffering that we face, Jesus faced it too. And Jesus hears you and he sees you. Like Jesus gets us. About a year ago, uh, I was on this Zoom call with uh, some ministry partners who are uh, in another state, and they were very pregnant, uh, looking for uh, you know the birth of their daughter coming up. And then a couple weeks later, I saw on Facebook um, that they they had a stillborn daughter, also named Elizabeth Joy, and uh, it was this crazy moment where I, I emailed them, and it was this email was just titled "Our Elizabeths." And uh, he responded within seconds. And uh, it's, it began this, like, this beautiful friendship where like, he and his wife and, and me and my wife would jump on Zoom. We'd just, we just pray together. We would just like, listen to each other. We would just process deep pain. And, uh, and mostly what my wife and I did is we just sat there, like, affirmed them, cried alongside them, nodded with them. Right? But th there was something about grieving with someone who has, has been there before, right? Who can offer you this level of empathy in a, in a unique way and offer hope in a unique way. So really in the same way, guys, Jesus gets us. Like he's been there. He's done that. Um, he's able to hear us and offer that, that level of empathy. So that's number one. Jesus gets us. Number two, this is really deep. Pain is real. Right? 
But here's the second part. To cry out to God in pain is not unfaithfulness. It's just being genuine. It's okay to cry out to God. It's okay to scream out to God. You're not being unfaithful. You are just being genuine. If Psalm 22 shows us anything, it's that God can actually handle the rawest of our emotions. In fact, he's probably the only one who can handle the rawest of our emotions. So I think both David and Jesus, by quoting David, are modeling really just like that the Father hears us, right? Like when all that we can articulate is just like noises of anguish. Have you ever been there? Like I can't even articulate real words. I can just only articulate like groaning noises of anguish. Like here's the thing, God can handle it. He can handle our raw emotion. He can handle our screams of pain. He can handle our, I don't know, accusatory questions. He's God, right? He can handle it. And I would argue, honestly, to a certain degree, that the very fact that you're still crying out to God, like, shows that you haven't lost complete hope, that you haven't lost complete faith. There is that, like, there's a kind of vulnerable sort of faith that comes with crying out to God over and over again. So I want to just encourage you all, if you've ever been there, if you're feeling that right now, keep voicing it out to God. But... Here's the second part to that. There is a flip side to that reality. I found this to be true over and over again, that there comes a moment when complaint turns toxic. Like we can and we should cry out to God, but we aren't meant to be in that place forever. And at some point before despair just like completely like overwhelms us, we have to like, it's almost like we have to put a stake in the ground and forcefully like fix our eyes on something. Like even if it's like we're fighting for it, right? Even if we have to like force ourselves to put the stake in the ground and fix our eyes on something good and something true and something noble. Um, so I, lo- I love Psalm 22 because we're about to get to the third point here. Within it, there, there's kind of this like, There's this spiritual discipline embedded all throughout scripture that I don't think we talk about enough that helps us combat this this potentially like toxic feeling of hopelessness. And that spiritual discipline is what I call the spiritual discipline of remembering. So that's number three. I want you guys to practice the spiritual discipline of remembering. So I'm just like pondering my life, man. I'm pondering how how we made it through this season. And one of the things that like kept coming up was that I just spent time reminding myself of how faithful God has been in the past. Like speaking it out loud to myself, to my wife, to God in prayer. I'm journaling it. We're just remembering, we're remembering, we're remembering that God has been there over and over and over again. And it's true that David cries out to God in pain, but man, we see this like discipline of remembering also sprinkled out uh, all throughout Psalm 22. It's like he's forcing himself to remember that God has been faithful, both in his own history, but also in the, the, the history of his people. So check out verse four and five. This is David saying like, in you, this is, this is in the midst of, remember, he just said, 
Why have you forsaken me? Where are you? Right? He's crying this out. And now he's like reminding himself, in you our fathers trusted. Right? They trusted and delivered the, and you delivered them. Right? To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Like he's reminding himself about the faithfulness of God for his people. But he also gets personal. Verse 9 and 10. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Guys, it's like David is speaking truth. Like wounds, wounds so often bring, they act almost like a gateway to, to untruth. You guys know what I'm talking about. We, we begin to believe things that aren't true, even if it's like contrary to our history. And it's like David is like directly speaking truth to untruth over and over again. And isn't it crazy like how short our memories are when it comes to the faithfulness of God? It's like so easy to forget how often God has come through for us over and over again. And I actually think it's probably why G, or like God throughout the history of his people sets up official times to remember him over and over again. And Jesus, by the way, like hours before did the same thing. This is my body. This is my blood. When you partake, remember me. There is this weird, mysterious, holy power in remembering. And there's something about it that like combats darkness. So for, for, for those of you, this is like the practical part of the sermon, right? If you guys are there right now, you follow Jesus in your life, you've seen his goodness and his faithfulness, I just want to encourage you all, fight to remember that the same God then is the same God now. So I want to kind of end reading Psalm 77. This has been a psalm that has been so like near and dear to our hearts. Right, this, is like, this has been like, I've held on to this scripture in seasons of brokenness and hopelessness. And I just love it. Like all these themes that we talked about are just present. This is actually Asaph, it's not David, but you can see the same themes. Uh, Psalm 77, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands and I would not be comforted. Let's jump to verse seven. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Are you guys hearing this? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Like you guys see this despair? You see even the untruths that are like filling his mind? All right, but then check out verse 10. Then I thought, to this I will appeal. I love that. To this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the people. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Guys, when you feel forsaken, when we feel lonely, when we feel isolated, when we feel in despair, remember who God is. 
Remember what he's done. Voice it out loud. Sing it in a song. Write it in a poem. Put it on your computer. Put it on your mirror. I don't care. Do what you got to do. But remember, like fight to remember that the God who's been there in your past is the God who will be there now. The God who redeemed you back then is the same God that can redeem you now. Right? And if you guys have been there and you followed Jesus and you've had any trials in your life, you know what I'm talking about. This ain't any different. Like, right? Like this time, this season is actually a time that God might be refining us. He might be refining you for something greater. Right? So we persevere, press in, because this is when it gets good. <laughs> right? This is when we see and experience the faithfulness of God in a way that maybe we never have from, uh, before. So quick recap. Jesus was forsaken so that we never have to be. By quoting Psalm 22, Jesus is identifying with our pain, showing us that he gets us, that crying out to him in despair actually shows faith, and that if we fight for the spiritual discipline of remembering that I think we're going to, it'll help us, it'll be a tool to help us persevere in this season of forsakenness. So, uh, I don't know, man. I just, I think that there's something significant looking at the final words of Jesus, knowing that, that he identifies with us and actually redirects us to a psalm where there's so much richness that speaks to us personally. So I just want to encourage you guys that the, the end, the end of Psalm 22 is not, is not hopelessness, it's restoration. Amen? Like the end of Psalm 77 that we just read, it wasn't, the conclusion wasn't despair, but it was redemption. And we all know the end of Matthew 27, right? The conclusion, it's not death, it's resurrection. When we press into Jesus, there's always hope. So that's my prayer for you guys. Let me pray to just close this. Thank you guys for letting me come and be with you this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you. God, thank you that... Um, your son took on the, the wrath. He took on the, the, the consequences of separation so that we would never have to be forsaken. God, but still, man, we, we walk, God, we walk through we brokenness and, and wounds and hurts, and it feels that way, Lord. It feels like there's real forsakenness, God. So just this morning right now, we just remember together, declare it together that you are a God who is faithful. You are a God who is good. You are a God who enters into brokenness and puts your arm around us and just tells us over and over again, you're my child and I love you and I love you and I love you. And we are not worthy of that. God, but man, you love us. <laughs> so thank you, Lord, for just that reminder this morning that we would just remember who you are. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I just want to uh, invite any of you who, you know, maybe this hit home and you want some prayer. There's opportunities to pray with people up front. And uh, if you're online, there's also opportunities to, to pray together on the virtual hub. So that is my invitation to you all. Thanks, guys.